0: And uh, now, uh, children and our middle schoolers, if you would like to go on back, Miss Kristen is there, and um, Miss Kara will be right outside the doors, and you guys can go on back uh, for the rest of the service. And if you want to stay and you're a kid, you certainly can do that as well. But it has been a great, great week. I want to certainly thank all of you who helped. I know it's a little hard if you didn't participate in in, in, uh, in VBS to kind of all of a sudden just pop up and uh, you kind of missed out in many ways on uh, what was a pretty electric week here. Um, uh, Although now on Sunday, to be completely honest, most of us are really tired and some of us are even cranky. Am I right, Scott? And... um, (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but it was still a great, great week, and so thank you for participating and watching. Again, I know that if you don't know the songs uh, and you come in and you hear them, it's, it's perhaps a bit hard to kind of figure out everything that's going on, but um, the songs that we do are really a great way to help our children to be able to participate in the worship of God, and one of the things, uh, as you know, that we take very seriously here is our covenant children, and so what a blessing, uh, what a blessing this week has been. Well, sisters and brothers, we are continuing in our look at the book of Ruth, and so today we're going to look at Ruth chapter 3, and I debated about whether or not to go back over Ruth 1 and 2 again, Um, but because I know that so many people travel during the summertime, I'm going to try to do a really quick recap, okay? You ready? All right, here we go. There was a family of four, okay? Uh, Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and Chilion. They were from Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And there was no bread in the house of bread. There was a famine. And so they left and they went to to Moab. And they went to Moab. And the two sons, they married Moabite women who were named Orpah and Ruth. See, this is also a testing of what do you remember. All right, Orpah and Ruth. Um, And then the uh, the three men, the father and two sons, all died right? And so we had three widows then that were left. And as you know, that was, and especially in that time and place, an incredibly vulnerable place to be, widowhood was. They had no idea where they would eat, what shelter they would have. And so finally, she heard, Naomi did, that there was a bread again in the house of bread. And so they left, and they all began to venture back to Bethlehem. And at some point, she turned around, she said, no, 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 Orpah, Ruth, you go back to Moab. Eventually, Orpah said, okay. Ruth said, no, your God, my God, your people, well, my people, they kept going. They reached Bethlehem. The women there said, "Is this Naomi?" And she said, "Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because I am empty. I went away full. I'm empty. The Lord has turned His back on me." She says all this with Ruth sitting right there next to her, which is rude. So then we get to the second chapter. Right, all of a sudden there's the harvest, and so uh, Ruth says, "Hey, you know what? I'm not going to sit around here and die. I'm going to go out. I'm going to start gleaning." And Naomi said fine. And so she went and she just happened to go to Boaz's field. And Boaz just happened to be related to Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband, which means that perhaps there is going to be some salvation or rescue that comes through Boaz. And so she's there and she works and, uh, and Boaz sees her and Boaz says, who is this? And, and, and they say, well, who it is? It's Ruth. And so he, he says, hey, Ruth, you stay here. You do everything. You just keep harvesting here. And she said, why would you be so kind to me? I'm a Moabite. And as we talked about, the fact that she's a foreigner, an immigrant, an outsider is really important in this book, right? And so so he says, well, the reason I've done this is because I have sacrificed for you, or because I have heard the sacrifice that you made for Naomi. And we talked about the fact of how important it is. To be noticed at times for the sacrifices we have made. What a, that, what a difference that must have made for Ruth. For her to be able to see that her sacrifice made a difference. And so last week we gave away postcards um, that we offered or that we gave to you to say, Hey, please fill out this postcard and let somebody know uh, that you have noticed the sacrifice that they have made. Many of you did that. I, already, I know you did that. And, and in fact, I know for sure because we made extra and they still went, they sold out, if you will. And I think that we have more. We were supposed to have more out there, out back. So if you want more, you can grab one on your way out. Don't take them all. Selfish. So... Uh, so, uh, so then, let's um, see what happened. Oh yeah, so then she returned to Naomi and she had all of this, this, this ephah, if you will, of, of barley. And, and, and Naomi couldn't believe it. She was absolutely gobsmacked by how much she had. And she said, where have you been? Oh, this guy named Boaz. Oh, he happens to be related to us. Oh, this is wonderful. We're all very excited. We think everything is going to work out perfectly. But then we're told that the harvest is ending, which means we know not what comes next. Because the end of the harvest means for Ruth and Naomi the end of food chapter (laughs) 3 Naomi her mother-in-law said to her my daughter I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you now here is our kinsman Boaz with whose young women you have been working see he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she said to her, all that you tell me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin." He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. I Remain this night, and in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, good, let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until this morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another, for he said, It must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the cloak you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back. Then he went into the city. And she came to her mother in law, who said, How did things go with you, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, He gave me this six measures of barley, for he said, Do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we do pray that you would be with us this morning. We thank you for a great week where we were able to experience um, the love of God, where we were able to see the children come in with great joy and celebration, and we give you praise for that. And We pray this morning that you would be with us and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So it's important to remember as we kind of enter into chapter 3 the reality that the harvest is over and that nothing has come to fruition when it comes to Boaz. And one of the things that we in America in 2019 have to understand is that this is not just some episode of The Bachelor where we might be disappointed that Ruth and Boaz didn't get together. For them, for Ruth and for Naomi, this is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of survival. And so Naomi all of a sudden speaks And it's clear that her coming to life, as we began to see in the second chapter, was not just a phase. Because all of a sudden, she takes all of this into her own initiative. She says, okay, we have to do something in order to survive. And so she hatches this great plan. She begins by telling Ruth that she needs to bathe herself and anoint herself and then get into fancy clothing. Now, there's a lot of question as to why exactly uh, Naomi would want her to do this. Some would suggest that it's because this is what a bride would do before she was to get married. And so by by dressing like a bride, perhaps she gives a clear uh, indication to Boaz what she is wanting. Others have suggested, well, this is oftentimes what women would do whenever they were, um, whenever they were uh, done at the end of their, their time of mourning. Whenever one of their husbands had died, at the end of the mourning, they would get dressed up as a way of saying, I'm done with the mourning, and if I might be, if the option becomes available, I am marriageable yet again. We don't know for sure. What we do know is that this was a big deal that she was trying to do. Most folks only bathed at that time every few days to every few weeks, right? Which is kind of the plan that the deck girls are on. It seems to work out by and large. But we know that this was a big deal. And if nothing else, what we know for sure is that she is trying to be as attractive and as as enticing as possible. And so she tells her, Naomi. He tells Ruth, okay, I want you to do all these things, and then I want you to wait. Wait until Boaz has eaten. Wait until he has, until he has had his fill of drink, right? Um, um, don't, don't, don't go too soon when he may be hangry or when things are not perfect for him. Wait until he is fully contented. And then you go into the threshing floor, you uncover his feet, and you lie down next to him, and then Boaz will tell you what to do. Now here, I need to make a brief and somewhat awkward aside. Throughout the first two chapters, one of the things that we know for sure about our storyteller, about the narrator, is that he does a masterful job of keeping the reader or the listener engaged with what is going on. He does this oftentimes by using mystery, by using tension, by using ambiguity. Remember last week um, whenever whenever Boaz asked who this young lady was, he used the Hebrew word na'ar which means not just young lady but young marriageable lady so that if you were the listener, you're wondering ooh, is this a foreshadowing of what's going to happen Or did the narrator just happen to say that she was marriageable? He does these things in order to entice us and keep us engaged. He continues to do this in the third chapter. But the way that he does it in the third chapter is he continues to use ambiguity and mystery... But he does so, and I'm going to use as much tact as possible because I know we've got young kids here, but I'm just going to say it quickly and then you can act like I said nothing. Which that he does so, he, he, he alludes to, to, to things that could certainly be sexual. Okay, So there are euphemisms that are used throughout this third chapter that for the original listener or reader, they would have thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is actually happening? When you talk about kind of taking off the blanket, when you talk about lying down, when you talk about the threshing floor, all of these are ambiguous terms that would have made people wonder what is actually happening in this scene. Now, some scholars would say, well, we think those things are actually happening, but others would say, no, 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 no. he is simply trying to keep us engaged and is just trying to, to, to show the tension of the moment. I would probably side with the latter, but, but if you want to, you can side with the former. I would side with the latter simply because this seems to be what the narrator is always kind of doing. But, but one of the things, and this is why I'm bringing all of this up, one of the things that's really important to see is it reveals the tension of the moment and it reveals just how volatile Ruth was. The volatile position she was forced in a sense to put herself in in order to survive. And so what you need to feel at this moment what you need to hear at this moment is the darkness, the darkness of the night to hear the breathing of Boaz to feel the heartbeat and the fear of Ruth. A little after midnight, we're told, Boaz is startled, and he's startled, of course, by the fact that there is a woman who is lying at his feet. Exactly. (laughs) May have sounded something like that. And so... Where was I? So he says, "Who is it?" Because it's so dark, he can't see. And so she says, "It's it's Ruth." And so she and she asks him, "Please put your cloak over my uh, over your servant," which is another way of saying it's kind of a euphemism again for saying "marry me." It's a marriage euphemism there. And he says, Boaz, and you can imagine the fear. Again, I want you to try to understand the fear and anxiety and tension of this moment. He says to her, well, I will do what you want. And, 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 and he said, how blessed are you of the Lord and your first loyalty, he says, or your second loyalty is even better than your first loyalty. Now there's question as to what that means. Probably the first loyalty is simply the fact of the sacrifice that that she made for Naomi but there's some question as to what the second loyalty is most would think it's probably the simple fact that she decided to marry or to ask in a sense what she's doing Boaz to marry her because Boaz most think because of the Hebrew that's being used which is very kind of archaic Hebrew and for other reasons that Boaz was probably quite a bit older that Ruth probably could have found somebody younger, but if she had done so, and it wasn't someone related to Elimelech, then Naomi would not still have been taken care of. And so what Boaz is seeing here is that she has chosen Boaz, and a part of that is a sacrificial act that she has done because of her love for Naomi. I love what Frederick Beekner says about this. He says, uh, he, he, he says, Boaz was so overwhelmed that she'd pay attention to an old croc like him when there were so many young bucks running around in tight-fitting jeans. Um, This is another, that's not in the original Hebrew. It's just kind of the sense. So he tells her to not be afraid, which of course reminds us of the fact that she would have been very afraid. And then he tells us, That he'll do everything that she asked. Which makes us all very excited. We think, oh, this is going to be picture perfect. We're already hearing the wedding bells. We're already seeing that Ruth and Naomi are going to be taken care of. But then he throws us a curveball by saying, well, there is actually someone else who is even closer. Who may want to actually redeem all of this and that if you've really engaged with the story that makes you nervous you don't want that you want Ruth to marry Boaz not some bozo that you've never heard of right we don't know who this bozo is I mean he must not be that great of a guy or he already would have stepped up right and so we're left with a little bit of fear of wondering well now what's going to happen we think we have this figured out we think it's all good and now we don't know but he tells her to stay the rest of the night because it wouldn't be good for the woman to be seen at the threshing floor and then to leave when no one can really notice you. He puts, He gives her some more barley in order to take back to Naomi. So she does. She goes back. Naomi says it will be taken care of by the end of the day but we don't know exactly what that means. And that is how our third chapter ends. So whenever I've taught on Ruth 3 I've always found this actually to be kind of one of the tougher chapters I like the other three more partly uh, because this is a little bit awkward but partly because of the fact that in many ways the third chapter is kind of a venue to get from the second chapter to get to the conclusion of the fourth chapter which you'll hear about next week and so I wrestle at times with what exactly to say about this particular chapter but there's a couple things at least that I want to point out this morning the first is, and I could have said this after chapter 1, 2, um, or even next week, is this. That one of the things that we at least need to say out loud is how thankful I am as a pastor and as the father of four daughters with the reality that we are no longer in such a time where the only way for a woman really to be able to survive or flourish is with a man. In other words, that the only way for her to be able to survive is if she is married. And so I am thankful, and we should all kind of grieve, quite frankly, with the fact that Ruth had to put herself in such a vulnerable position just in order to survive. And I am very much, you guys know this, I'm very keen on the sense of community and the fact that we need one another. But I also just want to say, some things should go without saying, but sometimes those things that should go without saying should still be said. Which is that I am glad that my daughter's meaning and purpose does not have to come through simply who they are married to. Maybe you disagree with me, but I am glad for that. And I also want to say that the church, and ZPC does this at times too, I know it, I am guilty of it, sometimes focuses so much on marriage or on family that it can easily make singles, those who are divorced or divorcees, those who have never been married, widows, widowers, or singles, if you have a spouse who doesn't come to ZPC and and doesn't want to come to ZPC, that sometimes they can feel as if they aren't quite as part of as much of of the community. And so I I grieve that. As well, and at times, my own part in that. So, I want to begin by saying that I am glad that we are at a different place now than they were several thousand years ago. All that said, when you think about the culture of that time, you have to be struck with the courage of Ruth and Naomi to be able to work within that system in such a subversive way. I mean, these two women are amazing for their courage to not simply succumb to the system, but to figure out how to take the initiative within the system in order to try to make sure that they could survive in a system that by and large did not want them to survive. It's really quite remarkable and I hope that you are struck by the faith and the ability and the initiative and the encourage of Naomi and Ruth. I mean one of the things that I'm struck by quite frankly is is the fact and we mentioned this last week but at how they begin to see how they pray or others pray to God and that is good and right But then they also seem to be asking the question in the midst of that prayer, Lord, what would you have us do in order to further your mission and even perhaps to help answer this particular prayer? Think about this. Maybe you remember back at the first chapter, Naomi said to Ruth and to Orpah, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord be with you. May you be able to get married to somebody so that you will be able to flourish. Then two chapters later, as she's kind of wrestled with her own understandable depression, all of a sudden she begins to see an opportunity for her to join God in helping to answer this prayer. And so she concocts this plan. She creates this setting in which would increase the likelihood that Ruth would be able to be married. And then again we see this this week. We saw it last week as well. Remember the prayer that Boaz had. Which over Ruth. Which was may the Lord protect you. May you find refuge under the wing of God. Now the third chapter says this. She says. This is how it's interpreted by the NRSV. She says. Put your cloak over your servant. But it doesn't literally say cloak literally what it says is put your anyone want to guess your wing over your servant in other words she uses the exact same word that he used when he said may you find protection under God's wing and Ruth says oh there's a wing that I can be protected under as well and that's your wing You see how Ruth just masterfully begins to bring up this fact of, I think that's a beautiful prayer. And again, here is the way that God can help that prayer come to fruition. And I think, and I want to say it again, I think it is really important for us to understand that tension when it comes to prayer. That in prayer, we are both asking God to work which is good and right. But we are also mindful, as someone has said, that God loves to use his people to help fulfill those prayers. And it is very easy for us at times to simply pray for something and to think that then we are done Where we forget that a part of prayer is also listening to how God might want us to be at work to fulfill those prayers. So one of the things that we talk about is that we want disciples here. We want to make disciples. We want to be shaped more like Jesus. We want to build for God's kingdom. And what we've been saying over the last fall and spring is that the primary way in which that happens is when we are in relationship with God and when we are in relationship with others. And you can't force relationship. We've all seen people who try to force relationships. It is not good. We've seen people who try to force relationships with God. Maybe you've, maybe you've done that. I had that a lot when I was growing up. People who would try to force me you know, force me and almost scare me to loving God. Right? Do you know that you know that you know if you died right now you'd go to heaven? If not, you're going to go to hell. Do you want to be in relationship with God? Yes! But that's not much of a relationship. That's a fear more than it is a relationship you can't force that right we want to be very clear about that at the same time we talked about being relational but we then also talked about being invitational being inviting and we talked about being respirational or gathering and scattering and here's what we need to remember we are in control of those things We are in control of whether we are inviting or not. We are in control with whether or not when people come through here, we are welcoming them. We are in control with whether or not our homes and whether or not this church building is an inviting place to be. We are in control with whether or not we gather together. We are in control with with how we see people when we're scattered out. We are in control of those things. And see, I think that what God wants is God wants us to control the controllables, to be able to say, how can we be more inviting? How can we be people who go out and who gather together? And when you do those things, then you wait to see how might the Lord work in the midst of this. This is what Ruth and Naomi did. They could not force relationship with Boaz. Boaz. But they could help to cultivate a situation in which the likelihood of relationship might grow. Right? So this is what we've been talking about with neighboring. You know, I, I told you all that we've been doing this experiment and we did kind of a second part of the experiment where I just asked people to really kind of be uh, be present in their neighborhood. And so so this last time when we did it, people were doing things like having block parties or, or having a party. Um, uh, yeah, but just having a few different kinds of block parties. And and, and and as we talked about what we learned again and again, what came out of that is, well, people talk, people met who had never met before. Guess what? If you want to be in relationship with somebody, you have to at first actually meet them. See, that's why you come here for these deep thoughts. But you have to actually put yourself in position to actually meet people. And that usually takes more than just driving by and waving or or giving a honk. It takes spending time. And so what we found, again, this is not rocket science. What we found is that when people were together, when they had food and drink together, when they created space, that relationships began to occur. We can control how we gather. We can control how we invite. And then we wait to see how it is that the Lord helps us to relate. See, this is one of the things I think that we have to always be mindful of because sometimes it's easy for us just to say, well, it all happened in God's timing. And well, you know what? If people want to come and meet, uh, be here at ZPC, they'll just kind of come and it'll be fine. We'll just, we can just do our own thing. Or hey, if we want to really love our neighbors, it'll just happen. People will just come over and they will just knock on our doors and say, will you please love us? I mean, we don't say that out loud, but by and large, that's how we tend to live. And so what we see in this story is we see Ruth and Naomi, two people who say, no, 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 we're going we're, we're to control what we can control. We're going to do what we can to cultivate relationships. Because of a lack of time, I'm not going to say a lot of different ways that I see that happening. I'm just going to focus today on one way that I want us to celebrate, which is, which is this week of VBS. I love this week of VBS because it is a remarkable opportunity for us not to just, just to say that we love kids, not just to say we hope the children experience the love of God and the experience of the love of our community, but we actually say, how can we be a part of that? And it's one of the things that I see every year, and I certainly saw it this year, One of the great things that we do at VBS, and you know me, I tend to not brag about what we do at ZPC because I I find it distasteful. But it is important at times to give God praise for the work of God's people. Well, the way that we always started off uh, at VBS is with food, which is always a good way to start off something. But not food for the kids, per se but food for the volunteers. So when we get here, we get here at five o'clock and there's a lot of folks, most of them are um, um, our, our kind of second half adventurer crew, our seasoned saints, call it what you want. Are the people who have some experiences in life, not all of them, we had some that were younger, but most of them were more seasoned. And, 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 and what was fantastic is they do it so remarkably. I mean, they, they give us this great food. They have this wonderful smiles. They're coming up seeing if they can pick up our trash. They have this great joy. About them. And you may think, oh, that's nice, it's just food. It's not just food. Because you see, what happens is, when you come and you're thinking, oh man, i got to do VBS again tonight. It's like a third night. You don't have to think about the meal at all. You just show up. And what happens is, as you see them serving you, we are reminded of our call to serve others. And you're not stressed. It's not anxious. And they do it with such joy. There's a woman that we know, Megan and I know, and, and, and she, was, she, she comes to ZPC every once in a while. Not very often, just from time to time. Um, but she said to Megan, man, ZPC he knows how to do food (laughs) what that means is not just that we make good food but we do But it's the fact that we are thoughtful with the food, that we know that it's not just pragmatic, this will give you energy, that it is opportunity. And as you see people cultivate relationships around tables, as you see the joy and it just kind of begins to emanate and you want to be joyful, it just begins to shape you in a different way. And then, of course, with the actual BBS, once, once we get past that, you see all of the different ways that people serve. You see our high schoolers. You know what little kids love? High schoolers right? I mean they love looking up to high schoolers, right? Their parents they could do without, but the high schoolers and because of the fact, and you saw some of that today, that you have high schoolers that are leading and dancing and singing it gives them it gives the kids permission to sing and dance it's so much fun to be here on Sunday night, the first night and to see kids, especially non-ZPCers who are nervous and they come in and they're uh, versus Thursday night when they run in here and they're ready to do all the emotions and they're excited and they're here worshiping God it's one of the greatest times at VBS is to see all of them worshiping God then of course you have others who are doing other adults who are doing lots of different things who are leading kind of the crews or the houses you see the game folks right and you may be thinking well games I mean that's not very spiritual you know are they wasting time on games here's the thing have you been around little boys they have so much energy You put them out in 90 degree heat and you make them run around for 20 minutes, at least they're a little bit quieter when they go in to listen to the story, right? I mean, so it all plays a part, right? Then they had these crafts that they were able to do. that kind of helped to connect the message you had the drama that helped to embody the message you had all those things and then of course you had all the behind the scenes folks right the directors the security what do those folks do well they make this place even more inviting do you know the number one thing that visiting parents are concerned about when it comes to visiting a church safety it's not what lesson are they learning it's not are they going to have fun it is whether or not it is safe And so the fact that we can make sure that this is a safe place is not just something that we shouldn't pay attention to. It is absolutely vital. And then, of course, we use this building, something that we oftentimes overlook, that we'll be talking about a lot more in the days ahead. But we use this building so that anybody who has ever participated, anyone who's ever given a penny to ZPC, what you may or may not realize is that you're a part of VBS because of the fact that we have this actual space where people can come and to experience the love of God and this community. And what I want you to know is, That there is a sense of urgency that we need to have about that. Not a sense of panic, but a sense of urgency of the importance of what we do. Just like Naomi at the beginning of the third chapter clearly had a sense of urgency. We need to have that as well. One of the great things to be able to see after a week like this is the impact that we can have. I already shared the great impact it is to see 200, nearly 250 kids singing and dancing and shouting about God. I mean, when they sing, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. I mean, the only one who is dancing and jumping higher than them is Pastor Scott. It is, it is, (laughs) but you see this great joy, this great excitement. And then you get to hear stories like a story of a young girl who on her way home um, um, told her dad that, 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 that she had kind of taken to heart what Paul in the drama had said. And, and she had decided, yes, to invite Jesus into, the heart, into her heart and, and the joy that she felt as she did so. And you think, wow, this is having an impact. And then, and this is something I almost bring up every year. And then you, we get to see what these kids are oftentimes wrestling with and why what we do is so important. One of the greatest ways that we see that is through their prayers. They do a prayer box. We do a prayer box. I think we've just done it the last few years or a couple years even. And, and they write in their prayers and they know that there are going to be people. And we have people who sit there. They pray for all those prayer requests. And then they go by name and pray for every participant and volunteer And I just want to share just a few of those prayers just to give you a sense of what these kids are thinking about. Right? One of them is a prayer that they would win all the games. (laughs) But then there's a prayer that their mom would get a job, a prayer for their brother and sister to stop arguing, a prayer for a little friend who has special needs. Prayer for their mom and they could help get over the loss of their grandpa. Prayer for a father to get better soon. A prayer for parents to stop fighting. Then there are simple prayers for things like praying that people all across the world would be able to love Jesus. Prayer that this particular child could come back to VBS next year. And every year I am surprised for some reason by the weight of these prayers. But when I hear them, I am also reminded of the critical nature of what it is that we are doing. VBS is not just a fun week to get together and to blow off some steam. What we do here every week is not just come together because we don't have anything else to do for an hour. What we're doing is critical for God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. There are children, there are adults, there are senior adults, and everything in between who need to know that they are loved by God and that they are loved by us. And my hope is that we will continue to be a people, and in even greater ways, who will keep praying. And as a part of that prayer, we'll be listening to the ways in which God is calling us to join him. What he is doing in this community and across the globe for God's glory, and for God's glory alone. Amen? Let us pray. God, we pray for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for a great week at VBS. We thank you for all the children, Lord, some of whom we knew, some of whom we had never met, who were able to experience the love and grace of Jesus and the love of this community. And we pray that you would help us to continue, God, To be a people through whom you work. It's in your name we pray. Amen.